Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to another edition of Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. For those of you who are new to the Radio Islam family, we welcome you. Thanks for tuning in. We're on every evening from 6 to 7 p.m. Central, coming to you from the wonderful city of Chicago, Illinois. And you probably hear that rumbling in the background. We are just mere a stone's throw, as they say, from the elevated trains in the loop that might be the green, brown, orange, or some other color. But anyway, you can keep up with us and should keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at. So if that's SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn, or Google Play, you will find us at Radio Islam USA. Do I need to say it again? At Radio Islam USA. Can't miss us. All right, family. Um, we are honored, pleased, and uh, really excited to have a wonderful guest in studio joining us today. And that is Dr. Shabana Mir. She is an associate professor of anthropology at American Islamic College, a institution that is near and dear to my own heart personally, um, uh, where she teaches Islamic studies, gender studies, and research methods. She's the author of the award-winning book, Muslim American Women on Campus, Undergraduate Social Life and Identity. Thank you for being here. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum salam. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be on Radio Islam. So yeah, so you you do quite a bit. Um, uh, wear quite a few uh, few different hats. I do. Yeah. I like hats. They're they're good. <laughs> they're good for something, right? I like different hats. Yes, yeah. it's nice to wear different hats. Yeah. I have um, I have. I have traversed many different kinds of paths, and so I have collected a number of hats through yeah. my life. And yeah. yeah, I enjoy them. Yes. So let, let's start out by uh, by looking. First of all, you've taught at public and private um, uh, institutions, universities, and your work that you've written on um, it's related to Muslim students' experiences yes, on it campus. Is. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us um, tell us a little bit more about AIC, right? Being at AIC and how is that particular campus, what distinguishes it uh, in comparison to others that, that you've been at? That is such a good question. Um, so I expect you know a little bit about my book, Muslim American yes. Women on Campus. Uh, it's a, another very subtle plug for it. But <laughs> <laughs> and we'll put the link up. On, yes, well. wonderful. Thank you. So please yeah. check it out. Uh, it should be at your public library as well as at your university library. So in this book, oh, some of the questions that I ask are about what are some of the cultural pressures that Muslim college students negotiate on American campuses? How do they uh, balance Muslim identity, Muslim practice, their religious observance, with what we often think of as the expectations of mainstream college life. You know, you've watched the movies about college life. You know what they're sure. all about, essentially. They're about partying and drinking and all that kind of thing. So a lot of people, especially parents and especially mm, religious high school students, have questions about what are, how do I get um, uh, to have a college experience that's in line with my Muslim identity, that is right. in line with my Muslim um, uh, religious practice. So I look at that and I ask about how are some ways that, for example, Muslim American students engage with drinking culture, with dating culture, uh, with fashion practices on campus. So uh, so in my book, I talk about how Muslim American women engage with those kinds of um, uh, campus uh, um, practices mm -hmm. and what I found one of the things that I found was that Muslim American women and my focus in this book is on women sure. and my focus was about how Muslim American women were perpetually explaining why they were different as well as why they were so normal normal quote-unquote normal and American so they were always being interrogated whether about why are you wearing the scarf why are you not wearing the scarf why are you dressed modestly why do you not appear to be dressed modestly so there's always a question there's always an explanation and so um, in order to um, edit what was regarded as a stereotypical image of a Muslim woman 
Muslim American women were constantly obliged first to take on the image and then to work with it. So they really, they couldn't escape that stereotype. Now mm -hmm. at AIC, one of the big things that I found, and, and keep in mind, I wasn't a person who ever thought that I was going to be working at a Muslim college. Really? This was so strange to me, right? The idea of working at a Muslim college. Mm -hmm. My first, actually my first career experience was working at a Muslim college, but that was in Pakistan. Where mm. I had a master's in English and I was teaching English at the International Islamic University. Okay. So that was like normal to me, right? And right. actually at that time, I had never thought that I would immigrate. I had thought that I would stay there at the Islamic University teaching English to Muslim students from all over the world uh, and I would just stay there. But, but that right. obviously must have been so much different dealing with a, uh, a, a homogeneous uh, yes. population. Very different. Right, where, where they don't have to worry about issues of, well, I shouldn't say, they may, they may manifest in different ways, different yes. issues of identity yes. and, and acceptance. Yes, yes. See, when you're um, teaching at a Muslim institution that's in the West, mm -hmm. right, and you're teaching a Muslim minority population, it's quite different from teaching Muslim students who are from a variety of um, cultural settings, both majority and minority. So we had Albanian students, we had Chinese students, we had Pakistanis, we had Arabs, we had all kinds of students. But they were in a Muslim majority setting. Mm. So sort of the representational issues that are uppermost in people's minds are not really there so much. Right. But here, we're constantly thinking about you know, your poster here, you know, resist surveillance. You're always thinking about the issue of surveillance. And I don't even only mean about the issue of surveillance as in security type surveillance. Right. I mean cultural surveillance, being watched, mm. right? The idea of being watched, the idea of being observed, the idea of being seen for, are you a safe Muslim? Are you a quote unquote good Muslim? Are you an extremist? It's, there's always that question. Right. What kind of person are you, right? So, uh, so a at AIC, we don't have our students don't have to deal with that questioning, and this to me was like, whoa! You know, I knew it wasn't going to happen, but the experience of it, sort of right. the embodied experience of being in that place and being comfortable, coming in in my shalwar kameez and my scarf and being okay. Yeah. It's not a big deal. A, safe, a right? safe space. It's a safe space, right? Yeah. And and when, for example, and this manifests itself not just in that cultural sense. And so not only is nobody asking you, so you're not going clubbing with us or you're not drinking with us or what's wrong with you? Why are you so uptight? Those questions are not there. Right. So that's a very different college experience. You know, the very term college experience right. means right. so much. It's like heavy with meaning. And then that's also the space, especially for young minds that are possibly leaving home for the first time. And the hundred percent, there's standard this this whole trope about when you leave, then you you find not necessarily find yourself, but it's more like about a rebellion. Oh my God, have you read my yeah. book? Because <laughs> that that trope is right in there. The idea of finding yourself. Like a lot of students will notice yeah. that when they go to college, like at new student orientation or the president's speech or whatever, you are going to now find yourself. Like there's somebody hidden in there that's right. only going to be found once you go to college, right? Mm -hmm. And who is that person? And a lot of young Muslim, for example, are scared. Yeah about who am I going to find? Mm -hmm. Like, I remember being 17, Muslim, young, and even though I was in a Muslim majority context, even though I was growing in Pakistan, I was thinking, who am I going to be? And I'm afraid of who I'm going to be right. when trials come ahead of me and I'm like, you know, uh, faced with temptation, etc., all kinds of different ideas, philosophical ideas. Who am I going to be? I don't know. Right. So I find AIC to be a safe space to not only, you know, uh, um, uh, find <laughs> find yourself, mm -hmm. but in a safe place where you're not being pushed in a particular direction. Yeah. And, and then, you know, what? as, as a parent, mm -hmm. my daughters, uh, I've got three, three girls. Oh, wonderful. Talk, you know, mashallah. Yes. And uh, the two of them are seniors mm -hmm. this year. So one of the things that my wife and I grapple with is that after high school experience, especially if they should happen to decide, you know, they want to go uh, and stay on campus. Yes. Right. So the idea is you want the institutions that they go to, wherever they go, mm -hmm. you want it to be an extension of mm -hmm. what you have tried to give them. Yes. And not something that's going to undo. Yes. You know, and, and that. So so once again, I go back to that whole idea of yeah. I'm going to find myself. Well, no, yeah. sometimes it's. Well, we're going to introduce something else to you that's really not, you're not comfortable with, and you're going to have to 
um, yeah. you're going to have to grow in, and maybe not even grow. That's right. probably not the right word. But having a place that's supportive. Right. Absolutely. That, that's tremendously uh, important for. It's so important. I know, for example, I have friends um, uh, that I know from college, from my college days, yeah. and they've picked up the book and said, let me read about it because my kids are now going to college and I'm worried, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. What are they going to encounter? What sort of temptations? What sort of uh, issues are they going to engage with? And how can they prepare for it, right? Because yeah. you have to be prepared. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes, you know, a good introduction to college may be something like AI. Uh, and I'm going to put a little plug in there for AIC is that it's not it's still it's, not too late <laughs> to great. register. Okay. Um, the thing with AIC also is that we offer a BA in Islamic studies as well as an MA in Islamic studies. Mm -hmm. But you don't if you don't want to do your entire BA, you can take courses there and that mm -hmm. the, that can be transferred, for example. Right. So that's also a good, safe uh, sort of um, introduction to college life. And that's something to think about as well. So you might be interested in, um, so for example, studying one of our courses, Islamic History and Civilization. You may be interested in that. You may be interested in great books and thinkers, for example. Mm -hmm. Another course that's being offered by Dr. Uh, our new uh, professor, Dr. Faryal Salem, is uh, about Sufi texts. So she's going to be reading mm -hmm. Sufi texts with uh, with our students. So that's something uh, you know that, that students can engage with. So it's not just that, that you don't have to be necessarily cut off. One of the f interesting things that I found when I was f when I first started to do my my uh, research study mm -hmm. is that in a lot of higher education literature, when I say higher education, I mean the field of study. Sure. Uh, uh, in a lot of higher education literature, the assumption very often is that students who come in from particular communities should cut their ties from their communities to become a part of this quote-unquote, diverse campus culture, yeah. right? And that I find very sort of questionable, this this assumption. A lot of uh, sort of um, Latina writers and, and black writers have talked about how this is a very questionable assumption to make mm -hmm. about minority students. Why should we necessarily have to cut off our ties from our home communities? And I ask this question as well in some of the articles that I write in that um, uh, very often uh, you can say that, for example, somebody who's white, who's grown up in the U.S., who's who doesn't even have, for example, a friend who's a person of color or a friend who's a Muslim, for example. For them, yes, they should open up and sort of try to get to know uh, other uh, people. But for example, if my kid goes to an all-white school where she barely even has one Muslim student in the entire school, why should she keep her ties and grow in her college experience with her community? Sure. So that's something that uh, you know we have to think about. Uh, there are there are questions of power when oh, we think absolutely. about absolutely. even the college experience, yeah. right? Identity, language, uh, norms. Oh my God, language, um, big yeah. one, right? These all, especially if we're talking about populations that are not uh, native English speakers. One hundred percent, absolutely. Where yes, um, as uh, one of my, my favorite uh, thinkers, uh, Dr. Uh, Michael Eric Dyson, he made a comment <coughs> some years ago where he said that. Yes. Uh, um, Language is an index, is used as an index of intelligence. Right. And often, yes. uh, it is often misapplied yes. uh, and misused when we overlook the fact that, especially within the American context, yeah. that we here, yeah. for the most part, yeah. speak one language. Two, two if you're lucky. Yes. Right? But. <laughs> Everywhere else. Yes. We're talking multiple four, languages. five languages, yeah. you know, easily. Yeah. So. You know, I speak multiple languages too, but, you know, days and weeks go by that mm -hmm. I'm not able to speak anything but English. Yeah. And uh, so one of the courses that I teach at American Islamic College is about uh, literature of the Muslim world. Mm -hmm. And I just love bringing literature um, to my students. And they're not necessarily literature majors by any means. And mm -hmm. some of them are actually, I had a, uh, um, some students recently who were like, oh, we're so nervous. What is this going to be like? You know, we're so used to. <laughs> like sciences or Islamic studies or you know black and white kind of stuff yeah. and you're going what are we going to do read novels <laughs> poetry <laughs> what are we going to do and yeah. then they took it and they were just like wow I feel like I learned so much 
yeah. just by reading these novels because they open up whole worlds of ideas to mm -hmm. us. Um, and it's just, you know, just a, it just, just gives me joy yeah. to see it, right? I used to be the person who I had a master's in English literature and I always thought that that's what I would teach. And then I kind of moved a little bit away from that. But Ameri at AIC, that gives me the chance to kind of dabble in multiple fields, right? Since you mentioned AIC, yeah. I yeah. want to put it out there now and maybe we'll do it again later. Mm. When is, uh, how long is registration going on? Oh, uh, you know, I don't remember the exact dates, but we can. you can contact our registrar at AICUSA.edu. Okay. Uh, but there still is some time, uh, and classes are starting um, on the, is it the 29th? Yes, it's the week of the 27th. Okay. Yeah, so Monday the 27th, start classes are starting, but there's still some time. Yeah, So go great. check out the website, check out the, uh, the course schedule for this semester, and I'm sure you you'll find something that you enjoy. Yeah. We have a lot of courses for both for undergraduates and for graduate students. Mm -hmm. If you just want to take a course, uh, check it out. It's one of the courses that I'm teaching this semester is another literature course. It's okay. called Literary I Images of Islam and Muslims. So we're going to actually be looking at a number of different novels, some poetry, and I think we're also going to be looking at the Turkish uh, show, Ertegrul. So okay. <laughs> I thought that would be fun as well to look at some images of sort of how uh, historical images of Muslims are represented, how we kind of deal with them in the present mm. day, those kinds of things. So that's something I'm excited about as well. One of the things that I really love about uh, literature, and mm -hmm. I think this goes with studying any language, is that the first thing is after you begin to have some sort of a, uh, I don't say mastery, but some sort of fluency where you're able to engage the language, is that you are moved to its poetry, its mm -hmm. literature, mm -hmm. uh, as a means of being able to understand how uh, how those writers, how those artists, are artists yeah. either affirmed or resisted against the, uh, the, the the cultural yeah. norms and values of the day. Yes. So it's it's a way to um, to kind of place yourself. Yeah. There, there's a sensitivity that comes about. Very that. much so. so. Very much so. So yeah. I, I think that's that's really wonderful yeah. uh, to have those types of courses. Um, oh, hun oh, definitely. Very much so. So uh, one of the authors that we're going to be reading about this semester uh, is uh, actually a friend of mine, G. Willa Wilson. She actually writes the Ms. Marvel uh, comics as well. Get out. Yeah, she's so wonderful. Okay. But she now she's going to actually be writing the Wonder Woman uh, <laughs> comics. So I'm very excited about that. But I'm going to be re we're actually going to be reading her. Um, uh, autobiography. It's called The Butterfly Mosque. And it's essentially a story of how she goes to Egypt, she becomes Muslim, she engages with those kinds of things. So this is, you know, like difficult questions she engages with, struggles and so on. And I just am very excited about uh, yeah. about that um, uh, as well. So, yeah. Well, uh, let me ask fun this. Stuff. Yeah. Because AIC offers, um, offers classes that, and in particular when we talk about Islamic history. Yes. I think that is. I yes. think that's a class that really, whether you're looking for a degree or not, that's yes. something that you want to be able to go through because yeah. uh, that history is so rich and, and it's. Uh, it's so rich, yeah. absolutely. It's so rich, and actually, um, I find it not only to be very interesting but very, very timely. You yeah. know, sometimes people think of history as something that's like fossilized, I'm not interested, I'm in the present, I'm a present day kind of person. Mm -hmm. You know you know what they say, right? If you don't study history, you're doomed to repeat it, yeah. right? And very often we find that some of the um, sort of pitfalls mm -hmm. that people are not aware of in our sort of um, ideological history, mm -hmm. they keep coming up. Yeah. because people are not aware of them. So, for example, one of the courses that I've taught is called Muslims and Modernity. It's an undergraduate course. Yeah. I just love that course. Yeah. It's actually quite hard, though, because yeah. a lot of people have these very fossilized assumptions about you know, Islam being this very monolithic thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like this box yeah. that is basically like, it's got Quran and Tafsir and Hadith and Fiqh and everything is just revealed. Like they don't have the sense of how um, the development of Islamic thought 
occurred yeah. over a long period of time and also how it shifts through different periods, yes. right? So, so for example, in my course on gender, uh, we are reading um, uh, this book called Women, Family, and Gender in Islamic Law by Judith Tucker, and they the, the, and, and also um, Women in 19th Century Egypt. And they, these books show how there is great variation over time in Muslim practice as well as Muslim fiqh, jurisprudence, yeah. in terms of, for example, marriage, divorce, physical mobility, etc. So these are not singular kinds of ideas that people have, oh, you're, you're supposed to do this and you're supposed to do that. In fact, it, the funny thing is that if you look at, for example, uh, Marion Katz's work, her book called Women in the Mosque, um, she shows how in jurisprudence, in classical jurisprudence, very often, they don't deal with the question of, are women supposed to do X? because they don't deal with the concept of women as a category. They ask, is the woman an old woman? Is the woman a young woman? Is she an attractive woman? Is she a, a crone? Is she a caliph's daughter? So they deal with these very, very specific societal categories, not like a big category right, of right. women. So, so, so then you ask the question, can we move those kinds of ideas directly to the present time? Mm. Mm. Right, because yeah. many there, people there think you of, have to. Of concerns. Yeah, there's a lot of concerns. Whether we're talking about um, class, yes, um, and, well, class in particular. That, Absolutely, that, that class is a big one. Yeah. Class is a big, big one. Yeah. Uh, and so, for example, you look at classical Islamic law, and you have issues of slavery. Right. And then you have our present day understanding, and then you say, how can we? translate this right mm -hmm. how does this translate into our present time so these are difficult questions they're not easy questions yeah. um so yeah i mean and to that and to that end just in having that discussion it, it goes to uh either the mistake yeah. i shouldn't say that. well yeah i'll say i think a mis mis uh, misconception or mm -hmm. misperception mm -hmm. is to say that the presence of muslims in a particular place means that mm. there must be an ideal well, uh, society, uh, yes. yeah right as yeah. opposed to uh, yeah. Islam, uh, Quran, yeah. uh, the Uswa, you know, the tradition of the Prophet, yeah. uh, peace and praise be upon him. Yeah. It gives us a framework to yeah. remedy right. those ills that existed even right. at the time right. uh, of revelation. Right. right, right, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I grew up uh, in Pakistan, uh, you know, the 70s and 80s, mm -hmm. and we had uh, a military government, right. uh, and they, uh, General Ziaul Haq essentially said, I'm going to bring Islam to Pakistan, as if we didn't already have Islam, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the idea was we're going to basically impose sort of an Islamic framework it's called it was called at that time they called it islamization and his uh, his kind of the the very often repeated slogan was islam is a panacea for all human ills human ills are going to be here we're still human yeah. whether <laughs> islam is here or not, not. <laughs> we're still going to have issues right so that's not going to like people seem to um, sometimes seem to believe that it has to be like paradisical yeah once you become muslim and then when they don't see it, when they see flaws, and they're like, I don't believe this anymore. That's it's not right. So you have to engage, right? Um, it's kind of like kind of like reminds me of the hadith. The prophet said, you know, the better person is the person who deals with people, has struggles, and still stays with them, still kind of works with them, yes, right? Exactly. Still is kind to them, uh, even though he has issues with them, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, so it's 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 complicated. And yeah. my students, um, you know, when one of the uh, discussions that I had recently with my students was, you know, when you came to AIC, what were you expecting, right? And sometimes they say, yeah, you know, we were kind of expecting something a little bit different. And then you guys came to us with, oh, you know, Islamic history is complex. And Islamic jurisprudence is complex and it's diverse and there's not like one box that I can basically download, you know, some one program I can download into my head and then suddenly I'm all Muslimized, right? Yeah. So, so, but then, there, then I was like, so, so is that a bad thing? So then we're like, no, we actually appreciate the fact that we learned about this complexity and that we can learn about how there are ver various perspectives within this very rich and very complex intellectual history, hmm. right? So this is not a place where you're just going to memorize stuff and just like, you know, um, uh, um, transmit things. Yeah. I'm Sorry. glad you mentioned that yeah. because I was, gonna, I was gonna ask that question, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> I was gonna ask that question about mm. when people, uh, when, when those who are familiar with the idea or the phrase Islamic education, mm -hmm. they may have 
a an idea that comes to their mind, a picture that says it mm -hmm. looks like, you know, X, Y, Z. Yes. And what yeah. you're talking about here, what's mm -hmm. being offered at AIC, mm -hmm. It may, in some areas, yeah. uh, yes. re reflect that, yes. right? It may yes. look that way. Yeah. But it also is a much more nuanced um, uh, way where you're talking about exegesis. And, yes. Um, yeah. You know, and not just not just the memorization, but mm -hmm. there's real, a real engagement. Talk to us a bit about how, yeah. that, how that's pl that plays out. Yeah, you know, and there's, there's, you know, there are multiple kinds of Islamic education, right? Sure. And I've experienced a, a certain kind, for example, where you memorize Quranic surahs, right. where you master the recitation, the tajweed, where you master the corpus, the hadith, the fiqh, and so on. It's beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. And you pray together. I experienced that at the International Islamic University, for example. It was beautiful. For example, I'd be teaching my students grammar, and in the other class, somebody would be teaching tajweed, and sometimes we'd just go quiet, and we'd be just like, let's just sit and listen. It's all good. We'll, we'll, we'll continue that later. It's beautiful, right? Yes. It's a beautiful experience. It was wonderful. And I hope everybody has that kind of valuable experience. But then there's the academic study of Islam as well. So we ask tough questions. We puzzle over, for example, what can happen, what happens when we engage in the academic uh, study of Islam, where, for example, you're not learning a singular madhab. You're, you're, you're not learning a single school of thought. You're learning a diversity of approaches, diversity of uh, important figures, and you're not just merely engaging in what we call sort of a religious socialization, though that is also part of it, right? Mm -hmm. So you also, um, you know, you uh, comport yourself in a, in a respectful way uh, to each other um, uh, and to yourself in a um, uh, in a way that is respectful to the text, for example, also. But you also engage with those texts, right? Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be an active engagement, not just a transmission, a memorization. You know, the image that usually jumps to people's heads is that image of, like, little boys sitting in rows and just, like, rocking right. and just, like, memorizing uh, and or, or being beaten, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's the, that's a favorite image of Islamic education, but that's not all of us. That's not all um, uh, the only type of religious education that there is. For many Muslims who don't engage in sort of a higher uh, study of Islam, there's this notion that um, there's this lack of awareness of the complex, the diverse, the brilliant history of Muslim scholarship. So that's something that we try to bring uh, yeah. to our students. But it, it can be very hard, for example, in certain secular settings where Orientalism is really foundational to the yeah. understanding of Islam and Muslims. It's very challenging. You can ask any grad student or any undergrad student who's like sat in on a class on Islam and Muslims. They're, you know, you'll hear any number of stories. Yeah, where, and basically at all times Islam is framed as something that is antithetical to uh, to to democracy. Yes. Um, it is. Yes. You know, it is the polar opposite, incompatible. Yeah. And yeah. yeah so yeah, or, yeah. Orientalism. Whether you're thinking about human rights, yeah. whether you're thinking about women's rights, whether you're thinking about democracy, and all of those things, it becomes this like this this uh, um, anti-modern, anti uh, everything, right? Anti everything yeah. nice. Uh, yeah. So so then so then our students end up in this position, and I actually talk about this in my book as well, where students very uh, often end up in this representative position with this burden of representation. Some 18-year-old kid who doesn't really know that much, and suddenly they feel like, oh my God, I have to tell everybody that what they're reading, what the teacher is saying is not right, yeah. right? And that's an awful burden. And not only is it an awful burden, but it also forces people into um, that kind of thing, that kind of idea of monolithic Islam. Because if they're showing me everything is bad about it, I have to show them everything is good right. about so, everything so, so Islam and be, Muslims, right? I must be perfect. That's right. And I then I must be any perfect. any mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. I have Mistakes to, are not allowed. Right. I've got yeah. an exhibit a character yes. uh, to others. Yeah. Right. I have to respond to them with just with love and peace and, yes. and you know, and yeah. flowers. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. 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 It's a lot of burden. I was actually talking recently to um, a friend who was talking about a high school daughter of hers who is facing that burden uh, because of the book they're reading yeah. uh, in class, for example. Recently, I had a, uh, a teacher, con this is not just about college, actually, because uh, a teacher uh, contacted me about this book, um, 
oh, what was it called? My name is Najood. I am, you know, 10 and divorced and so on. And this teacher was like, you know, saying, oh, you know, we want to in, in, include our Muslim students in the study of this book. And I was like, okay, so this book is about a terrible practice of child marriage in a particular location in the Muslim world. And you're going to bring that only that one book to your students, right? Yeah. And then you put the bur you're going to put the burden of discussing that on your Muslim students. Like seriously. That's that's just a, a yeah. setup. It's a complete setup, but she didn't mean it to be a setup. She was trying to talk about use it to talk about hijab. I was like, "Okay, first of all, very different situation. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. all religious practices are framed within particular societal settings. Right. They have different meanings in societal settings. For example, when I grew up in Pakistan at the age of about uh, 17, 16, 17, I actually started wearing niqab. I wore niqab for nine years. Mm -hmm. The experience of wearing niqab there was quite different from what it would be, for example, here. Right, okay. um, uh, or what wearing, even wearing hijab would be here. So you have to kind of locate things in their particular social settings. And uh, you know, you hear these days, you hear Islamophobes kind of pull a verse out of, uh, oh, yeah. out of a book and say, "This is what Islam and Muslims are forevermore," and uh, that's what they represent and that's what they practice. There's so, there's yeah. a book that I would definitely recommend for folks to read. It's called "The Idea of the Muslim World." Oh yes. And I, I'm gonna. I, I'm. I'm not gonna mispronounce uh, the author's name. Do, do, do Jamil Aiden. Okay. Yes. Jamil Aiden. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, um, but it speaks directly to this idea of, of you know of, of pushing back against this um, uh, this this idea that we are a monolith. Right. Right. And you know, and I think that's important. And the other thing that I think is important, I'd like to to hear from you on as well, mm -hmm. is that when we think about college, we think about our university systems and and the product. Mm -hmm. Their product is, yes. we look to them, uh, those people as, as our future leaders. Yes. And if they are being educated and sensitized mm -hmm. uh, in a way that puts them at odds yes. with a any segment yes. of the, 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 the population, uh -huh. yeah. then it, 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 yeah. You know, it's we it's can't the expect undoing, good things to come out of right? it. Right. So right. Yeah. when we think about institutions, yeah. uh, an institution like AIC, yes, and its potential for mm. not just Islamic education but a transformative one. Yes. Right. Yes. So, um, tell us a little bit about uh, what incoming mm. students can can expect. Oh, so um, you mean at this time? Sure. So sure. we have uh, several courses that we're offering right now. I'm actually offering an intro course in U.S. government. This is going to be a new experience for me. Okay. <laughs> this is an undergraduate uh, course. And my focus in this course is going to be on trying to understand uh, U.S. government more broadly and in a critical fashion. Okay. Right? Uh, so a lot of... Um, uh, sort of engaging with the history and engaging with the development of foundational concepts uh, in U.S. government, but also how they play out, how um, uh, elite force, elites uh, play a role in U.S. government, how it's not simply a matter of, you know, every four years we go and put our vote in, and, and it's not as simple as not that, right? Um, so, so those kinds of things I want to look at as well. Um, and uh, like I said, our uh, new Dr. Faryal Salem is going to be teaching uh, a course on Sufi texts and we actually now also have an Arabic language institute something that many people may be interested in yes. we actually offered a uh, summer uh, course mm -hmm. in Arabic uh, and that should be um, also continuing we just hired uh, a director of the Arabic language institute Dr. Talat Pasha and um, we also have Dr. Omar Awas he teaches a number of Islamic studies courses as well so um, I'm really excited about this uh, this year this semester uh, we're looking at um, sort of finalizing our accreditation as well so things are looking up all right yeah uh, think about it I mean you know you could take courses you can audit courses our graduate courses are in the evening for working uh, adults oh, and our, our numbers are usually quite small so uh, one of the things that I really love about AIC is that our discussions are always really rich yeah. um, and when I mentioned that it's a safe place I particularly mentioned in terms of discussions of these uh, complex issues of Islamic uh, studies and that for instance if I was teaching gender and Islam 
elsewhere. I would probably have to start with explanations of, by the way, we are human, <laughs> we are Muslim, we are human, yeah. uh, you are human too, you have issues too. But I don't have to start with all those explanations, right? right? So we can, uh, we can get to the point quicker mm -hmm. for critical issues. We can t get to the point quicker about talking about what are the issues we need to deal with, right? What are some problematic things that we need to deal with in the community, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, so those are things that we can get to faster. Um, so I really, I really enjoy those things. Yes. Well, uh, it's been a pleasure having you here. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you, Tharik. I really enjoyed chatting with yes, you. Yes, it was definitely my pleasure. So we're going to take a short break, and we will be right back in just a minute. This is Radio Islam on WCEV 1450 AM. The Syrian Community Network, with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872-806-0141. That's area code 872-806-0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. Remember to look for us wherever you are on social media and wherever you get your podcast at Radio Islam USA. All right, family, no time to waste. We want to welcome to the program, joining us by phone, the co-founders of the International Museum of Muslim Cultures, Imad Al-Turk and Okolo Rashid. Thank you for being here. Assalamu alaikum. So who would like to start with telling us how this museum came into being? Uh, Sister Okolo? <laughs> well, yes, I can do it. Either one of us can do it, but I'll do it. <laughs> uh, well, alhamdulillah, uh, first of all, uh, thank you, brother, for having us. And, and uh, we thank you uh, and Sound Vision, and we also thank your radio audience for giving us an opportunity to share with them uh, this, uh, what we call, um, uh, we call the museum, uh, actually, um, we say that it's uh, a, a gift by God, it's a blessing, <laughs> Uh, it's a miracle because uh, we are here in Mississippi, uh, Jackson, Mississippi, um, and uh, you normally wouldn't find America's first Islamic history and culture museum in Mississippi. Right. But uh, what we say is that um, uh, we also call this museum, uh, uh, the root of it is, is what we call uh, Muslim activism mm. uh, because... Uh, it was uh, uh, the activism uh, of the Muslims that really brought it into being. Uh, there was an another much larger exhibition that was coming to Jackson, Mississippi. It was a major international exhibition. It was really marketed across the country as the number one must-see exhibition in the country. Mm -hmm. It was called The Majesty of Spain. And uh, we just kind of assumed that they were going to do something on the Islamic history uh, and, 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 you know, the contributions of Islam to the Renaissance of Europe. But as it got closer, we realized that that wasn't the case. They were going to really start after, uh, that, uh, after that great period. They were going to start at uh, 1700 coming forward, and this is from 1710 to 1400s until, you know, Columbus uh, came to America. So they want to leave out all this Islamic history. So we got, the Muslims got active, and we decided to um, uh, begin to build uh, alliances to bring this exhibition. Uh, and it really, it was just an exhibition called, our, our first exhibition called uh, Islamic Moorish Spain, Its Legacy to Europe and, and the West. So our, what we attempted to do is that we wanted to make sure that the contributions of Islam to the Renaissance of Europe, to the West, be, you know, a part of this great, uh, you know, major, you know, uh, experience that people were going to have when they came to Jackson. And so we were able to pull it off. So in, in short, 
Mm-hmm. We were able to pull that off in, in, in less than uh, four months. Most uh, you know, our exhibit designers were telling us there's no way you're going to be able to pull off a major exhibition in the little times you had because we wanted to do a companion with this exhibit because they didn't want to, they didn't want to do anything. We, we uh, tried to seek to see if we could maybe partner with them and maybe do a theme in their exhibition, but they weren't interested in that. So it was because of, you know, the drive that we had uh, to get this message out there and to get the narrative out there about Islam and its contributions to uh, Western culture that, that kind of led it. Mm. Were they met? Yeah, so this, uh, this was in 2001, and the museum actually, or the first exhibit, uh, opened in April 2001. Uh, so we are proud uh, to uh, celebrate our 17-year anniversary last April. Uh, and, uh, and the museum has done significant amount of work over the last 17 years, uh, really uh, across the southeast. And uh, we are in the process now of transforming the museum from a local and regional institution to a national institution. So okay. we are going to be starting a traveling exhibit program and uh, or uh, exhibit that's going to be coming up called Muslims with Christians and Jews, an exhibit of covenants and coexistence. Mm-hmm. Uh, once it features here in Mississippi, it's going to travel across the country. And our current exhibition that's been ongoing for the last 10 years, uh, it's a legacy of Timbuktu, Wonders of the Written Word, we also will uh, begin traveling. So this way we can actually get uh, not only having people visiting the museum in Jackson, but also we will uh, be traveling across the country so we can get as many uh, of our guests to know more about Muslims' contributions to the world and, and, and to America. Uh, also, we're going to be uh, hosting uh, a number of uh, activities that are going to be national in scope, including this uh, our upcoming national uh, conference mm-hmm. that is entitled Race, Class, and Religious Intersectionality in America, an ongoing struggle for human dignity. Mm. Uh, and really, we, we wanted to ask, uh, can Islam and Muslim Americans offer a way forward to addressing this divide in America that we have. Uh, so this is part of the, really the, the whole effort of uh, transforming the museum into a national institution. Mm. So would, would you say um, that one of the outcomes of the museum in, in being able to look at the rich history of, of Muslims is to look at this idea of, uh, or, or to inform our current understanding of Muslim leadership in a pluralistic uh, society? Yeah, absolutely. One of the focus issues of our next exhibit, uh, the, the Covenants exhibit, mm-hmm. is going to talk about the pluralistic nature of Islam in, in the beginning of uh, the Muslim period with Prophet Muhammad wasallam with the Constitution of Medina, and how basically through the Constitution and through his actions and policies uh, basically established a pluralistic society in a creation of, a, of an ummah that includes Muslims, Christians, Jews, and unbelievers, uh, and, and comparing and contrasting the uh, Constitution of Medina with the Bill of Rights uh, and, and other uh, and, and, the, and the U.S. Constitution, uh, many of the protections of minorities, of women, of uh, people of faith, was enshrined 1,400 plus years ago in, in the. Uh, uh, Constitution of Medina and the covenants that were uh, established uh, by Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Sister Kolo. Uh, yeah, I think I, I mean he, he he covered a lot, but I was just gonna I would just add to what he said is that I think uh, uh, yes uh, I, to answer your question and to uh, uh, you know echo what Iman has said. I wanted to just add one thing, and that is is that. What makes this museum unique, I think, is that uh, it's um, on the basis of not just the activism that I talked about earlier, Mm -hmm. but also uh, the museum uh, from its very inception uh, uh, was uh, established uh, with really uh, a very uh, diverse, uh, with the the interest of of, um, um, telling and exhibiting the diverse, uh, history and culture of mus- uh, of Muslims and and their contributions uh, that's uh, in America but across the globe and uh, our whole idea is to um, 
to engage and educate the community uh, locally, yes, mm -hmm. regionally, yes, but also nationwide into understanding that this idea of human dignity uh, is, is, is being fundamental uh, to combating injustice mm -hmm. and achieving equity across race, class, gender, ethnicity, and religion. And so we really uh, worked really hard in our what we call robust programming mm -hmm. to uh, make sure that we promote um, uh, these ideas and these concepts that uh, have, you know, uh, that Islam and other early religions brought these same kinds of ideas, but it was Islam that came back and reestablished those ideas. And so we try to utilize these principles to uh, bring these, uh, you know, uh, groups and community together across all of these uh, various divides. And I think that's what makes uh, the work that we're doing very unique than other uh, museums. We had one scholar that did a, a major uh, presentation about our museum at, at the uh, International Museum uh, Conference in Turkey. And he defined uh, the work that we did, and I think he really helped to uh, kind of give it a, it a focus. And that is, is that um, uh, our museum uh, uses these artifacts really as a way of mobilizing, using history as a mobilizer mm -hmm. uh, of bringing people together from these various different backgrounds to really understand their common humanity. Let me ask this. What is your... What is your uh, curation process uh, with regards to how you select uh, what artifacts will be included uh, in this first-of-its-kind uh, museum? <laughs> well, uh, uh, well, actually, uh, as I said, it, it just kind of uh, our initial approach to curation mm -hmm. and identifying what themes and what subjects we're going to... Uh, uh, bring to the uh, to the museum um, um, uh, and the community is really uh, more of you know what is it that's that's in need what's the right. needs of the community mm -hmm. and so it and and I think both of uh, uh, the exhibitions that we uh, have displayed here really came out of uh, that kind of thinking and that kind of observation uh, 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 as we say at the first a a exhibit uh, was really to respond uh, right. to uh, an act of you know someone bringing the, this this uh, history of the contributions of the West out of Spain and just you know overlooking uh, the great contributions of Islam so that spurred in, uh, so I, I, I think uh, again this idea of this museum being kind of born out of the spirit of activism. Right. And so uh, our second exhibition uh, called The Legacy of Timbuktu, Wonders of the Written Word, so that was our second exhibition, okay. and it really just came out of really uh, of realizing and understanding that a great uh, uh, part of the enslaved Africans that were brought here and, and the contributions that African Africans African Americans have made in this in this country is to kind of better understand you know what's that history uh, what was you know the root of you know these enslaved Africans coming and and and, and we have you know this great research that it had uh, really revealed mm -hmm. that you know many of these enslaved Africans about one third of them were came from Muslim lands over in West Africa, yep, uh, an, an unheard mm -hmm. of story. And then we were able to fortunate enough to go to Timbuktu and bring some of these manuscripts back uh, to you know as a part of our artifact collection oh, wow. that we have on loan. So it's it's out of this activism, mm -hmm. looking out into the community and letting the community and what what the needs are inform what we what we do. Yeah. I think that I think that's awesome. Um, can, can I ask a bit about the the upcoming uh, upcoming conference uh, that's taking place? Um, have you all? I think I heard you mention that you you had one before that was in Turkey. Well, we didn't have that Turkey conference. Actually, it was just one of our scholars uh, that worked closely with us from one of the colleges here, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Millsaps College, uh, Dr. Steve uh, Dr. Steve Smith. Uh, he had been doing a lot of work with the museum, and he 
solve this conference, uh, and he thought that he wanted to present the story of the museum and, and, and the work that the museum was doing with, uh, you know, bringing, uh, you know, uh, uh, this, you know, cultural groups together and so forth. And so he, he, he actually, you know, termed it, you know, uh, using history as a mobilizer. He saw that we were able to do that as opposed to just, you know, featuring artifacts. It's, 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 it's a way of engaging people and, and having people to immerse themselves into kind of like an active uh, experience. Right. right. Uh, uh, but, but now I do want to talk about the conference. Yes, I don't please know, do. I've, I've talked a lot. Emad <laughs> might want to come in and say something, maybe introduce it, and then I can talk a little bit more about it. But we're really excited about this national conference uh, that we are uh, going to be uh, hosting here mm -hmm. uh, in September yes. of this year. Did you want to say go anything? Ahead, go ahead, Paula. Why don't you go ahead and talk about the conference, and then I'll talk about how uh, our guests can uh, register for the yes. conference. Yes. Okay, great. Uh, uh, we are we're in a very unique position as Muslims in America, and uh, I, I think that uh, one of our great partners, partners uh, that's uh, the Kellogg Foundation, uh, we also had a partnership with the uh, National Endowment for the Humanities. We got uh, a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities to really look at this unique uh, history of the Timbuktu exhibit, and that kind of helped us to position ourselves uh, to be uh, uh, you know, noticed by Kellogg Foundation. Uh, uh, they came to look at the kind of work that we were doing, and so they actually helped to fund a curriculum program around that Timbuktu exhibition that we actually piloted in the city schools here. But uh, they, uh, uh, after coming, we had the vice president uh, from Kellogg and the president actually to come uh, to, uh, to visit the museum. And they said, you all have a lot more than just, you know, a curriculum development, uh, the work that you're doing, that you really have uh, the programming uh, the, the kind of narrative that you tell really, it does go across, you know, this divide of race, class, culture, and religion. Mm -hmm. And so they actually gave us uh, a $600,000 grant uh, to help to put on this conference and to put on that covenant exhibition that Emad is talking about and wow. a couple other components. Wow. But what they wanted from us in terms of this, uh, this um, conference uh, we've been thinking about this a long time, and so we kind of pitched the idea, and they loved it, and that is is that they want the Muslim voice and the Muslim activism to come into the conversation around race class. Uh, uh, and so uh, uh, they, they, their interest is, you know, uh, you know what, what, what is it that Muslims have to say about the issue around, you know, the race issue and the class issue? Uh, well, one of the things uh, we say is that you're never going to solve the, the issue around race and class un, un, unless and until you understand that there's an intersectionality uh, between these uh, issues and religion. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we have really, as I said earlier, our underlying theme of most of the programming that we do is to really look at this idea of what it means to be human, uh, you know, uh, and we think that Islam really, uh, that's a part of what Islam brought. So this, this subject of looking at race, class, and religious intersectionality in America as an ongoing struggle that didn't just start in America, it's a global struggle around this idea of how do you reclaim human dignity. And so we feel like... Uh, this is a story that Muslims, and, and we're looking at American Muslims, but we're looking at it through the lens of the global community, not just in America, but we feel that this is a, a, a real key a, a, a place to be looking at uh, this, this story uh, because a lot has happened. And there's a lot of issues around class, uh, race and class, okay? Mm -hmm. But we're saying that um, uh, what we wanted to do is have a real candid conversation about race and class and we really want to, uh, we want to dare <laughs> to go beyond the headlines to take a fresh and unbiased look at Islamic thought and the Islamic worldview, ideas, and culture, and uh, uh, its contributions 
to America, but also to the global community. And we want to do that looking at the contributions uh, and the work of American Muslims, in addition to looking, you know, at the work of the global community. And how do you bring uh, the voices of Muslims into this conversation mm-hmm. around race and class? And how do you lift up and, 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 and really raise the profile of the many uh, projects, the many works that Muslims are doing that most people don't know anything about. So the goal of the conference is really to bring out of the shadows to the forefront right. the important work uh, of Muslim American individuals, institutions, and communities, and to spur greater studies and support of this work, and also uh, to challenge Muslim Americans to be more intentional about moving the model uh, of forward in terms of these ideas that, you know, I just expressed. So that's kind of uh, it in a nutshell, but we have 75 scholars and and activists uh, and uh, uh, artists uh, from around the country that's going to be, uh, you know, taking part in a four-day conference that's going to be happening here uh, in, in, in Jackson. That, that's awesome. So, Brother Matt, you already answered one of the questions I was going to ask uh, Sister Colo, and that was uh, how long is the conference going to be going on? So, Brother Matt, can you tell us, uh, let, let the Radio Islam family know what they need to know so that they can register, where they can go find out information? Uh, so so the, the conference is going to be from September 6th through the 9th. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll start on Thursday evening and end on uh, Sunday at noon. Of course, we, we invite uh, your guests to, to register. So the, co- the conference the registration actually is going to be uh, $245. That includes the registration to the conference, uh, all of the meals of the conference, uh, lunch and dinner. does not include breakfast. It includes uh, a tour to the, mu- to the uh, museum and our exhibitions. Mm-hmm. Also, it includes uh, tours to the, the newly opened Mississippi Civil Rights Museum and Mississippi History Museum. Mm. Uh, also, we are very proud of our association with Sand Vision. Uh, you know, uh, Adam World uh, Puppet Show mm-hmm. is going to actually be shown at the conference. Uh, Iman from Chicago is going to also have a community cafe on Friday evening on one of the nights there. So there's going to be a lot of activities. Uh, so the, the conference uh, fee with, with all of these factors are going to be about $245, and when we have uh, 100 scholarships that if somebody cannot afford that full amount, we're actually waiving the registration fee of $75. So the people who cannot afford oh, wow. it but would like to come, uh, we welcome you, uh, and then the price will be 170 for those, but it's only 100 and we encourage people to register as quickly as possible so it's, it's, it's a first-come, 1st first serve basis here. Right. So right. they can uh, basically go to our website, uh, www.muslimmuseum.org, or they can call the museum at 601-960-0440, and uh, we, we will be glad to uh, send you a package, uh, send you the program, uh, the registration link, uh, whatever information you need. Uh, we're also having a connection with the... With the uh, this is going to be hosted at the... Western Hotel in Jackson. So there is a special rate uh, that you also can uh, register for hotel reservation uh, through the registration link uh, that you can uh, be provided as well. Okay. Yeah, let me just say that we are really in the process right now. You might have a little problem with our website mm-hmm. uh, because we're in the, pro- uh, in the process right now of making, uh, you know, getting all of the uh, conference information up, and we kind of have a little problem. So it's, in fact... You have problems, or you can't find it on on the website. Uh, then please, uh, as Iman said, uh, uh, there are other ways that you can do that by calling the museum. That's uh, again six zero one nine six zero zero four four zero, and uh, we also, uh, uh, you know, Sound Vision will have other ways uh, that they will be promoting it as well. Yes, yes, and we will be running. Um, we'll be running a spot here uh, for the for the conference. So the Radio Sound family will be hearing that uh, in between uh, upcoming programming. 
So uh, this is really exciting. So we're talking about September 6th through the 9th. Uh, is that correct? Yes. Correct. Okay. All right. So uh, Radio Sound Family, MuslimMuseum.org. Uh, if you have questions, you can call 601-960-0440 and uh, get more information and get registered. And we are looking forward to a uh, to, to a great conference. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, the, 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 you know, the outcome afterwards, just hearing the reflections on it, because it sounds like it's going to be really powerful. So, um, Brother Imad, Sister Colo, we thank you both for taking the time to talk to us about this great work, uh, and we hope that we get a chance to talk with you both again in the future. May Allah continue to bless you both uh, in this, and it's a very important work. Alhamdulillah. Thank you, brother. Thank, thank you very much. Jazakallah here, brother. Wa all right, good people. We are going to say assalamu alaikum. We thank our engineers over at WCV. We thank our engineer in studio, the impressive one, assistant producer Ibrahim Beg. I'm your host and producer Tariq Alamin. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. That being said, we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.